you know, I can always count on our master music, musician, Jim Bennett, to really set the, the mood. And I, I thank him for preparing the way for the Holy Spirit to enter in. And I give thanks also to Janie and to Joel for having me at this pulpit one more time. Yeah, thank you. Let me just begin with some silence and some prayer. Anointing fall on us. Anointing fall on us. Let the power of the Holy Ghost fall on us. Anointing fall on us. Amen. I received a call recently about a job. Another job outside of Richmond Hill. It seemed to come from heaven. I remember being in a discernment group back in late winter, pondering what it was I was called to do with the next year of my life. I was focused on gaining resources for myself, getting out in the world. And while we are out in the world in service here at Richmond Hill, it seemed to not be as out in the world as I quite wanted to be at the time. <laughs> Somebody knows what I'm talking about. All right, okay. <laughs> I'm not the only one. We get antsy sometimes, and we think the grass is greener on the other side. So I wanted to be out in the world. And I could hardly describe myself as accruing resources on the humble stipend that we make here at Richmond Hill. <laughs> I wanted a paid job. <laughs> but God, but God, but God, told me to stay. God told me rather abruptly to stay while I was sitting in my usual seat of prayer where Reverend Bob Hetherington is seated. And I was, I was just sitting there minding my own business and I was in my meditative space and then all of a sudden it was like, stay. Okay, and I knew I knew what it was about because I had been discerning this for months and I knew that, I knew exactly what stay meant. And Reverend Terry, my, my home church priest, he said, he likes to say that, you know, when the Holy Spirit comes, God will give us very clear instruction. It'll be a very simple instruction, sometimes even just a word. And my word was stay. And then because I have a knock three times on the ceiling, if you're actually there, God. <laughs> Relationship with God. 
That same message was echoed two more times very clearly to me in conversation with two different people. So I obeyed. I practiced obedience. I didn't know exactly why I was being called to stay. And it, there was some reasoning, there was some rationale behind it, but you know, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll go with you, God. So when this spontaneous offer for a job came, and mind you, I'm classified as a seven on our beloved Enneagram test, which means I'm just into everything, and I'm, I'm, I have a lot of ideas, and I can be a little scattered sometimes, and, but it, it's, it's, that seemed like a delayed answer to a prayer. My mind begin to rationalize and figure out how I might fit the time and the expectations of that job into my ordained path to stay here at Richmond Hill. Such a great opportunity, some extra money, some more experience, some more excitement. That was my rational self, my logical self, my mind just chattering away about the endless possibilities. But I had a few days in the process of making a decision to check in with my heart. And my heart said, you can't leave Richmond Hill. You were told to stay because Richmond Hill is a school of the spirit. It's a school of discernment and you're in the middle of your class. And if you leave, you will ultimately cut yourself off in the middle of the work you're here to accomplish, the faith you're here to develop, and the grace that you're here to receive. This was a major lesson for me in understanding the ways of the Holy Spirit how the Holy Spirit works on us and shifts us and moves us to respond in different ways at different times to make us aware of our various strengths and weaknesses, the various strengths and weaknesses of our soul, to make us aware of what we're really operating from. It was a major lesson in understanding the nature of thorough and accurate discernment, the fruit of which is a body, mind, and heart that aligns with the divine purpose for our lives. In this past Sunday's gospel lesson, we find James and John eager to experience the riches of the kingdom of heaven. They want the glory, the laud, the honor. They said, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus responds by essentially asking them, can you do the work that I've come to do? And they hurriedly reply, We are able. But get this. Jesus says, okay, you can do the work, but I can't promise you 
the credit. Why? Because they had come unto Jesus with their egos. They had not yet fully died, surrendered their egos. Maybe some place in their heart was there. They had some inspiration. Maybe they had a conceptual awareness of walking the way. Maybe they had a sentimental longing to do the will of God. But Jesus knew they had not yet fully realized the full weight of walking the walk because they were still trying to do right in order to be rewarded. So he said to them, you do not know what you're asking. You see, there's an aspect of ourselves in all of us that can reach out for things, that can reach out to do things, believing that we're stepping out on faith, we're stepping out on the word. But when we examine closely, we realize that we're actually doing it to pat ourselves on the back, not to glorify the power of God. At that point, we have not fully stepped into alignment with God's will. It's our emotions talking, or our thoughts talking, or our body talking, but God talks when all of that is in union. So then what are we to do? What are some of the ways that allow us to step into that union so that we can truly hear what God is trying to tell us and then truly say that we are able to do God's will? And before I venture too far into this, well, any further into this, I'm going to issue a disclaimer because I recognize that this is an eternal sermon. How do we bring everything into alignment, into agreement so that we can do God's will? That's a lifelong journey and lesson and process. That is the work of salvation itself. And so I do not presume by any means to stand up here and give you the keys because I'm still trying to figure out the combination myself. But what I can do is give you what God told me to say and trust that that is enough for today. So the first step that I was given is to silence the ego through self-examination. And in Christianity, that self-examination is guided by the principles of Jesus. The chief principle is divine love, namely God's unfailing love for us. That love is outlined throughout the parables in the Ten Commandments and also in the Sermon on the Mount. When I act, am I acting from a place of lack, of fear that I don't have enough, that I'm not enough, that God won't provide for me? When I act, am I truly believing do I really believe in the omnipotence, the omnipresence, and the omnibenevolent nature of God? 
Or do I think God will bless everybody except me? Do I think God is just out there and doesn't work at all times, in all places, through all people to fulfill God's all-encompassing purpose for each and every one of us? These are questions to ask as we discern God's will. And when we're really striving for holiness, the ego, the whisperer, or in traditional language, Satan, the devil, the enemy, has a way of becoming very tricky, of making that which is opposed to God fair-seeming. Because if it were not good, if it didn't look good to us, if it didn't look pleasing, we wouldn't want it. It wouldn't be so tempting. When we're trying to be holy, we've become like the big kids on the playground, and we're not going to be assaulted anymore by little kid tricks. The deceit becomes far more sophisticated, and at that point, it becomes difficult to distinguish the true word of God for your life from the false motives of temptation. So we have to ask the questions. Am I living from the knowledge of God's love, God's abundance, God's continued faithfulness unto me? Or am I living from a place of fear and unbelief? The second step I was given is to honor your whole self, flaws and all. And the greatest hurdle in doing that is refraining from judgment refraining from judging ourselves and where we are in our process. Have you ever said or heard someone say, oh, God isn't telling me that. God isn't telling me that. Doubting, criticizing, judging. But our thoughts can be true and our hearts can be pure and we can be authentically experiencing what it is that we're experiencing on some level. But that can only be one part of the whole story. And the, the rest of it is yet to be revealed. Someone said this past weekend at a conference, you know, discernment is not linear. I've learned that the hard way. It's not, it's not a straight line. We want it to be a straight line, but we can start at point A, and then we can go to point B and point C, and we think we're going to point D, but we're actually doing all of that just to get back to point A. And it wasn't that points B and point C were, are invalid, and that they weren't real, and that God wasn't really speaking to us. It's just that that wasn't the whole picture. So we have to keep listening and, and be open to the unfolding of the lesson. And I'll give you an example. I remember a charismatic preacher who I loved standing up in church and telling everyone that they were about to move to a different state and they weren't taking a thing with them. And I don't think she ever got there. We saw her in church the next year. She was back speaking in tongues. I just loved her. I remember another charismatic preacher who I loved recalling how she became so filled with the Holy Ghost that she believed that she was being called to leave her kids her house and her husband, because she was following the Lord and what the Lord told her to do. 
and she didn't do it. And here's my theory on why they didn't fulfill that course of action. Sometimes our hearts can long so deeply for God. Their hearts longed for God with such a reckless abandon. But their minds, they remembered their minds, and their minds backed them up. Said, hold on, wait a minute. Their rational selves kicked in and said, wait, wait on the Lord. The longings of the heart had to be tempered with reason. We were given minds to make choices, to examine and evaluate, to reflect. I've heard people sometimes recite scripture robotically. Well, this passage of this book says this, and we're not questioning it. We're not applying any hermeneutic, any kind of exegete. We're just going to do that. And that's what we're going with. Does, does, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Has anybody ever done that to attack them, maybe? So-and-so can't preach. You can't eat that. You can't wear that. You can't behave that way. It's easy to ignore reason and our lived experience so we can have an excuse to practice reckless endangerment, especially on people we don't like. God also doesn't ask us to abandon the experience we're having in our bodies. Paul expressed frustration when he struggled to bring it all together. He said, I can't get my members to do what I want them, my members to do what I want them to do. My spirit is willing but my flesh is weak. We judge and we criminalize the flesh, but the word became flesh. That's where it gets really tricky because it says also that the word became flesh and it dwelt among us. And it didn't do that. The word didn't become flesh because the flesh is so pleasant and so exemplary and right all the time but because the flesh is one of our greatest teachers. How many know that the weaknesses and temptations of the flesh tell you what you actually think and how you actually feel? So no, don't take away the flesh. God calls us to bring our whole selves to the throne of grace. Hear the voice of God. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And again, God gives us, gives us the desires of our hearts. God gives us the desires. Walk with me today. Walk with me. God gives us the desires of our hearts. And again, don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you. Lastly, remember to breathe and remember to pray. Yes, remember to breathe and remember to pray. That's not a big thing. Simple. In Genesis, in the very beginning, 
of the Holy Scriptures, we are told God breathed his spirit into humanity and we became living souls. We are told God's spirit hovered over even the face of the waters. In John, we are told that in the beginning was the Christ and the Holy Spirit proceeded from the Christ who was in the beginning, which is simply a reiteration of what we're told in Genesis. We're actually sitting at all times and all places in the Holy Spirit, by him, with him, and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit. Yes, when I can bring that book of common prayer in and just, yes, by him, with him, and in him. We are sitting in the spirit at all times and all places, like oxygen, like air, like the very breath that we, like, the, like our very breath. And without this presence of the breath of life, we cease to exist. Our hearts stop beating, our blood stops flowing, the waters stop rushing, the waves stop breaking on the coast. So for the sake of your beating heart, for the sake of your very life, breathe the breath of God back into your nostrils as God did in the beginning. Breathe and breathe intentionally. Because when we do this, we are actually tapping into something cosmic, something that was there at the origins of creation. We are allowing the Holy Spirit back into us to revive us and restore us. And when we return to that center, in the act of centering prayer, there we experience God's grace. That centering, that alignment, enables us to experience the divine grace. It enables us to see God clearly. We are then in our intended state of co-creation with God. Co-creation. I was sitting in spiritual direction yesterday and was talking to Father Terry and it occurred to me, I, was, I said to Father Terry, you know, he asked me what something meant, and I said, it means that I'm creating my story with God. I knew it conceptually, but it hadn't sunk down until I, it went into my experience. I was like, oh, I'm actually working with God to unfold my destiny. And the Holy Spirit takes a step, and then I respond to that step. And then I take some step and the Holy Spirit has to figure out, well, how are we going to use that step to work it all in? <laughs> it's like, that was a mistake on your part, but we're going to use it. Don't worry about that. We're going to use it. It's going to be all good. And it's just, I take a step and the Holy Spirit takes a step and then the Holy Spirit takes a step and I take a step and it's the co-creation of our, of our unfolding of our story and occurred to me and I'm co-creating with God and we're all doing that at all times and all places and we're not always conscious of it. And the light, the electricity, the fire of God then fills our whole being. When we do this, I can feel it right now. It talks about, scripture talks about the fire that shut up in our bones and we just can't keep it in us. Hear the word of the Lord. 
when thine eye be single, thy whole body becomes full of light. So my call, my altar call today, if you will, is to walk in the light, the beautiful light, and let that light so shine for others that the whole creation beholds it, shine all around by day and by night, live in that glorious light, which is the light of Christ, who is the light of the world. Amen. 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 And I'm in.